Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise, all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, we have a rather interesting listener suggestion. It was a story that I think I may have heard at some point, but I really did enjoy investigating and digging into it and looking it up. So I hope you guys enjoy the story too, because it was pretty interesting. All right, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say, Lurency, that will be a single shot. And every time I say, Roth, that will be a double shot. (laughs) I know you guys are scratching your head. Good! I love it when I keep you guys guessing. Alright, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So, ladies, don your best bustle and hoop skirt. And for you gentlemen, your best seersucker suit will do just fine. Alright, let's dive into today's offering of the Watsika Wonder, or America's first recorded case of ghostly possession. Dum, dum, dum. You know me, I gotta have my drama. I'm not worth anything if I don't have some drama. And it's a day after a holiday. I gotta keep myself awake, so. Drama, it is. Alright. In the small, rural farming town of Watsika, approximately 85 miles south of Chicago, Illinois, something otherworldly was going down between 1877 and 1878. It was here that the very first American possession was documented. Not that that was the first one that happened. It's just the first one they decided to document. When we think of possessions, we think of demonic spirits taking over a human body by force. And most often, the results are, well, pretty terrifying. This case, however, is quite different than your average so-called possession. So stick with me, guys. The first character for our story is one Mary Roth, born the 8th of October, 1846, in Warren County, Indiana. When Mary was just 13, and she was in ill health from epileptic fits, her family moved to Watsika, Illinois, about 70 miles miles south of Chicago. In the spring of 1865, Mary tried to commit suicide by slitting her wrists in an attempt to end her depression brought on by her ill health. Her parents discovered her unconscious and called for a doctor. 
When Mary awoke, she displayed extreme violence and had to be restrained by several adults. She was delirious for many days afterwards, and then she fell into a deep sleep that lasted for a full 15 hours. When she awoke, she found that her eyes had been covered with bandages to prevent her from scratching her own eyes out while she was sleeping. Rather than removing them, however, Mary found that she could see things just as clearly as she had prior to her eyes being bandaged. Family friends A.J. Smith and Reverend J.H. Rhea witnessed a heavily blindfolded Mary read to them the contents of a letter which Mary had no prior knowledge of. Sadly, though, Mary's health continued to deteriorate, and doctors recommended that she be put into a mental institution. Her parents refused and decided to care for her themselves. Mary's brief life came to an end on the 5th of July, 1865, while she and her parents were visiting friends for the 4th of July holiday. Which brings us to our second character of this story, Laurency Venom. She was born on April 16, 1864. Hers was a normal, healthy childhood without incident. At the age of 13, though, that all changed on the morning of July the 6th, 1877, when she informed her parents that there were people in my room last night and they kept calling, Rancy, Rancy, and I could feel their breath on my face. During the nights that followed, sleep proved elusive, again as the voices continued their calling, and it wasn't until her mother shared her room that she was able to sleep peacefully once again. A week after this begun, she was helping her mother repair a broken stitch in the carpet when she sat up suddenly and said, Ma, I feel bad. I feel so queer. Seconds later, she collapsed to the floor in what seemed like a fit, every muscle in her body rigid, her pulse only a fleeting rhythm, her breath slow and thready and weak. She remained like this for five hours, and when she awoke, she had no memory of the incident and felt very strange. The next day, the rigidity returned. But this time, Laurency was fully cognizant and was able to speak to her parents, telling them of the spirits she could see who were there with them. Among those mentioned were her sister and her brother, for she exclaimed, and I quote, Oh, mother, can't you see little Laura and Bertie? They are so beautiful. End quote. Bertie had died when Laurency was just three years old. Sometimes the fits lasted for up to eight hours a day, wherein Laurency would speak in different voices, yet recall nothing upon waking. These daily fits lasted until September of that year, when Laurency appeared suddenly to be free of them. On November 27, 1877, she was attacked with a most violent pain in her stomach, some five or six times a day. For two weeks, she had the most excruciating pains. In these painful paroxysms, she would double herself back until her head and feet actually touched. 
At the end of two weeks, or somewhere around December the 11th, in these distressed attacks, she became unconscious and passed into a quiet trance. And, as at former times, would describe heaven and spirits, often calling them angels. From this time on, until February the 1st of 1878, she would have these trances and sometimes a seemingly real obsession from 3 to 8 and sometimes as many as 12 times a day, lasting from 1 to 8 hours, occasionally passing into that state of ecstasy when, as Laurency, she claimed to be in heaven. During the time recorded, up to about the middle of January 1878, she had been under the care of Dr. L.N. Pitwood in the summer and Dr. Jewett during the winter. These doctors were both eminent allopathic practitioners and residents of Watsika. Miss Al- Mrs. Allison, Mrs. Jolly, and other relatives and friends believed that she was just insane. At a time when the spiritual mo- spiritualism movement was widely popular, many people believed that Laurency was actually manifesting mediumistic abilities during her trances. She was able to contact spirits and angels, many believed, while many physicians diagnosed her as being mentally ill and attempted to encourage her parents to send her to the state insane asylum in Peoria, but her parents refused. Doctors believed Laurency to be mentally ill, and they made the suggestion to send her to a state asylum. If you remember, asylums in that day and age were rife with abuse and offered little to no treatment. In fact, many patients would be lucky to make it out alive, never mind make it out cured. The idea was to lock those who were deemed mentally ill away from the outside world and those who were deemed normal. As her trances became more frequent and more detailed, a man by the name of Aja Roth, who also lived in Watsika, showed up at the Venom family residence. Aja told the Venom family about his own daughter, Mary Roth, if you remember from the beginning of our episode, who had suffered from something eerily similar to what Laurency was experiencing and wanted to inspect Laurency firsthand. The Venom family invited him into their home. He had brought along spiritualist Dr. Winchester Stevens. That's a name, isn't it? Winchester Stevens. Why do we not name our kids Winchester anymore? Really, do we need another Cheyenne? I'm just saying. Winchester's out there. I'm putting it out there. Anyways, Dr. Winchester Stevens, who documented this very first meeting, he said Laurency was curled up on the chair, eyes staring, looking in every way like an old hag. He detailed how she called her father Old Black Dick and her mother Old Granny. During this initial meeting, Laurency didn't introduce herself as Laurency, but as Katrina Hogan, a 63-year-old woman from Germany. Moments later, she claimed she was actually a young boy called Willie Caning, who had recently perished and was now here because he wants to be. Before they left, Laurency snapped out of the trance and was able to communicate with the sane and happy mind of Laurency Venom. Aja told the Venom family that Mary would often enter similar trance-like states in which she would take on the character of somebody else. She was possessed, they believed, and could recollect information about places that she had never been and people that she had never known. 
As she got older, the trances increased in intensity and violence. And for 18 months, she was kept in an asylum in a water cure, but to no avail. She soon developed a bizarre obsession with blood and took to applying leeches to her forehead. One morning, her father found her slicing open her arms with a knife from the kitchen. She needed to rid her body of blood. She told him before passing out. Her father had agreed with the physicians and sent Mary to the insane asylum. One morning, she awoke, sat up in her bed, and screamed uncontrollably before falling back down, dead at just 19. Despite her death, Aja was adamant that Mary's spirit was still alive. Now, this is where the story becomes a little bit more obscure. Following this meeting, another spirit came through Laurency, Mary Roth. While in one of her trances, Laurency introduced herself as Mary, adding that she didn't recognize the name Laurency. Her name was Mary, she contended. Furthermore, she didn't recognize the home she lived in or her family members. She wanted to go home, she said. The Venom family again contacted the Roth family to tell them that Laurency was possessed by Mary. They immediately made their way to the Venom household. Although Laurency had never met the rest of the family, she was able to identify each one, even identifying them by childhood nicknames. Here comes Ma and Nervy, she exclaimed with excitement. The Roth family continued to visit and interact with Laurency, who they believed was genuinely Mary, just in another body. A couple of months later, the Venom family allowed the Roth family to take Laurency to their home to see how she would behave and to see if she would regain her real identity. As the months had passed, they had hoped Laurency would snap out of it and transform back into her true identity, but to no avail. While they didn't want her to leave, Laurency had been treating her own family like strangers, and they were desperate to get her back. As Laurency and the Roth family jumped into the buggy, they passed by what was their old house, the house that Mary had grown up in and the house the Roth family moved out of following her death. Laurency immediately became confused and asked why they weren't stopping there. Miraculously, the longer Laurency stayed with the Roth family, the less frequent her trances were. She was able to recollect fond Roth family memories and recognized items inside the home as being her own. She took much delight in playing the piano, something that Mary could do, but Laurency couldn't. Truly, our daughter who was dead has been restored to us, exclaimed the Roth family. After a couple of months' bliss, on May the 21st of 1878, that statement came to pass when Mary tearfully bid her family goodbye and left for good. When Laurency returned, she promptly requested to go home. Once again, the familial re reunion was joyful and full of hugs and kisses. She told her family that the past 15 weeks seemed like a dream to her. Back in her own house, Laurency became, in the words of her mother, perfectly and entirely well and natural. Laurency has been smarter, more intelligent, more industrious, more womanly, and more polite than ever before. And the Venom family credited Dr. Stevens and the Roths for curing Laurency. But what happened in Watsika? 
Was Laurency really possessed by the spirit of Mary? Or was it some kind of elaborate hoax? Nobody can say for sure, but the Roth and Venom family certainly believed the possession to be genuine, as did those who witnessed it firsthand. And I can't help but think, one family mourned the death of a daughter, another family welcomed a new daughter, and a few years later, Mary Laurency Venom became the deceased Mary Roth. Was it a case of multiple personalities, reincarnation, a haunting, or just wishful thinking? And on that note, my darlings, we have come to the end of today's episode. I warned you, it was going to be a short one. It was after a holiday, and you know how lazy I am. I mean, come on, a holiday and laziness? You're lucky I did anything at all. Anyways, I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts about today's episode. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your thoughts about today's episode, or you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, well, send me a line because I promise you I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have this evening. And I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. (laughs) This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.